Now as we uh, begin in this section of Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 6, we're going to first look at faith alone. Sola fide, as it's known in the Latin. We're familiar with that. And uh, I would say as we bring bring the uh, context in here that... um, I don't believe it's just mere conjecture just to suggest that the Judaizers who were troubling the uh, Galatians were using Abraham for an example. There's no doubt that they are. Uh, he is He's the man as far as they're concerned. And uh, it's necessary to have circumcision because Abraham is the one that got it going. And so they're standing on that. That's scriptural to them. They have a scriptural argument, they say. That's the problem when uh, things are taken out of context and not being able to put things together and you can see how all of a sudden you run into uh, problems and things that go beyond what Scripture says or fall short. So, uh, declaring faith alone in Christ and the atoning work of Christ was not enough. It wasn't enough. It must be something else. So they needed a proof text. And of course they would use Genesis 15 which is where we're really going to be heading today here because we see that very first verse that we read in verse 6. It says, and boy, are we familiar with this. So Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. He believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. A very, very key verse, isn't it? And you see it in other places. Now, there are a lot of Christians, so-called Christians, that teach, like for instance, baptism is a water baptism is a prerequisite to justification. There really are, and we know that uh, baptism then for them is an instrument of justification. That's how you're justified before God. You have to be baptized. And of course, we know that Roman Catholicism teaches that explicitly, and other sacraments are instruments in justification. If you were to ask a Roman Catholic about justification, they would say they believe in it. They believe that you're justified by faith. The Reformation had to make it clear. That's why they put the word alone in there. Not anything else can be added. Yes, they believe in justification by faith, plus baptism, communion, um, church attendance every week. Um, A lot of things that sound good. Things that we believe in but they are something that uh, would be required. So it's not just grace alone. Many of the Campbellite sects, S-E-C-T-S, or the Christian churches, churches of Christ, teach that baptism is essential in their belief also. And uh, that uh, is uh, a must requirement for one to have justification, to be a believer uh, you not only have to confess your faith that you're a believer, but also to be baptized in their waters. That totally demolishes the system of justification by faith. And uh, it's all around us. There are, there are plenty of people who believe in certain things like that. Something so simple as baptism, and yet to get it confused with how one is saved, is serious. So, we talk about uh, faith being reckoned as righteous. Now, the Judaizers spoke of righteous Abraham. He was righteous, but it wasn't due to his circumcision. Uh, 
There's a modern need for works in order to be justified. Abraham was declared righteous. And it says right here in this verse, he believed God. He believed God. So simple, but believing in God is very powerful, isn't it? Believing Him. And of course, we we live by faith too, don't we? Not only say by faith, but we live it through our lives. And of course, the things that we have to encounter every day, we still live by faith. Live by faith. And that's that's what Abraham had to do. You know, you, you think of the things... Um, like some of the things that we believe uh, that that are right at the heart of the very heart of the gospel. When you think of okay, we are supposed to believe that, for instance, Jesus came through virgin birth. Now that's quite the thought when you really think about it. I mean, how can anybody really believe that? And not only that, but then we are, uh, in our faith, we have to believe that God came to earth and He was in the flesh after He was born from a virgin and He lived an absolute perfect life. We always say nobody's perfect. Of course, God is perfect, but He came here and did that. And then He dies for sins and then He raises again. He came back to life. I mean, Christianity is asking you to believe some things that are not natural. So when we are believing, we're trusting in something that's not just coming from our own selves, and it's not coming from a blind faith, but it's a faith that is based upon truth. It's a faith that is objective, not just subjective only, but very objective. And so, you know, some of the things that are in the Bible where you have, like today we're going to be talking about Abraham. And Abraham is like 99 years old and Sarah is 90 when they have a child. I mean, God asks you to believe that. You have to trust. He asked Abraham and Sarah to believe that he was going to give them a son. Now that is an amazing faith and that can only be supernatural because we cannot legitimately draw from that in our own minds. We, you know, I mean, sometimes we definitely are to, to use our minds. Definitely. But sometimes faith goes beyond this, our own reasoning and we have to believe God where those things run into problems in our own thinking and just trusting. And uh, that's what Abraham did. And uh, you remember that Abraham was declared righteous even before he was circumcised. And that's what Paul is going to hammer on here as we look at this text. He commanded him to be circumcised, but yet at the same time, it's after the deal with the faith. He had obedience to God, But there never was the codified law. Their law did not exist when Abraham was around. It's like 400 years later as it's given to Moses. So 
there are a lot of things that Paul can really hammer on here to get the Judaizers' uh, attention. How are they going to argue these? Well, as we read this, and of course um, you probably have it memorized, but Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was reckoned to him as righteous. And of course we can go back to Genesis 15, which is what Paul is drawing from. So we would follow him this morning just like the Galatians would be following. And I'm sure that uh, most would know about that story of Abraham. And we'll pick it up right in verse 1. We're gearing to verse 6, but uh, let's take this. This is, this is almost like justification class 101. <laughs> this is the basis, the very hinge of what we believe. So we want to get it down. So where would you go to? We'll go back all the way to the Old Testament. Go back to Genesis. Go back to Abraham. Here we go. Here is where Paul went. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. These are promises right here, folks. This is, these are the things that Abram has to believe. Your reward shall be very great. Abraham said, O oh Lord God, What will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So he's just thinking, I don't have any kids. It must be my servant. That's what he's thinking. Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born of my house is my heir. He's going to help God out here. Right? Peter does that a lot too, right? Just helps God out and fills in the blanks. And so many times we fill in the blanks of how God should do something. And we just put it there and we say, well, this is what God is going to do or this is what God should do. And we pray for that. And it turns out to be that's not what He has in mind. Well, this sounds legitimate. I think Abram is going right along. He's using his brain. He's using the noodle there that God's given him. (laughs) Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him. That's what we go by, isn't it? Saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from my own body. He. Your own body. Your own body. Abram, that's where it's going to come from. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside. What an illustration. He said, now, look toward the heavens. Count the stars. If you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And here we go. Then, he believed in the Lord. And he reckoned to him as righteousness. That is where Abel was declared righteous. The simple fact of faith. He believed God and has reckoned him as righteousness. Paul is drawing a conclusion here between Abraham's or Abram's justification and those in the present, and the present time here of, of Galatia. Uh, and he uses that even so kathos. Even so, okay, after those first five verses, then he starts hitting the Scripture now versus the, their experience, which is important, but the, the Scripture is where it's at. And you base everything on that. And there's no difference between how Abraham was justified and how they are justified. It's the same justification by faith. In Genesis 15, uh, 6, he quotes that. And we know in Genesis 17, and we might as well go there as time proceeds further, Genesis 17 is later after 15, right? 
And uh, why don't we pick it up right at, um, we could pick it up at verse 9. Let's pick it up at verse 1. Let's go with that. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. This is how you show that you're justified by your walk. I will establish, and you get this, I will establish my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you'll be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful and I'll make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham. Now here we go. This is really where we're hitting at. Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You know what? They still do it today. Isn't that amazing? And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Pretty serious. So it's put forth to Abraham what this is about. And it's a sign of the covenant. It definitely separates this group of people now that are coming from Abraham from all the other ones. And then later they are to take that the good news of this being justified by faith. They're going to take it to the pagan worlds. It does happen. You see it in the book of Acts. You see it even before then. It's in illustrations, but in a big way. And of course, the reason we sit here today is for the fact that you think of when we were covering Acts chapter 10, dealing with Peter and Cornelius, Cornelius' house was really a great symbol of Gentiles coming to Christ. And big numbers happen after that. Now, there had been some before that. But the reason we sit here today is because of this news that was given to Gentiles who were outside the covenant. And yet, as far as Abraham is concerned, not only to the Jewish people, but to all the nations, it says. Aren't you thankful that you can be part of that as the walls have been broken down? Well, Abraham believed God. What did Abraham believe? 
Well, he didn't have the full revelation like what we do today. Sitting, sitting here today with our Bibles open, reading the completed Word of God, which is inspired and it's infallible and inerrant, complete and authoritative and sufficient for your salvation. Everything that is there. Do you know, you can sit there and read the whole counsel of God and you've gotten everything that He has revealed. There will be more whenever He comes back and He gets us into this glorious realm. But I want to tell you, Abraham believed. He didn't have everything that we have as far as full revelation. He didn't even have the Old Testament canon there as God came to him as being a pagan at first, starting in Genesis 12, for instance. He had been reared in a pagan, idolatrous land, and yet God comes to him with that pagan heritage and he trusted in the Lord there as he was. He called him there. And then he's asked to get up and leave and get up and leave and get up and leave. Then he has a wife who is barren for years, for decades and decades. And then he tells him uh, at their old age that they're going to have the son. And he believed that. Sarah laughed, and God then says, Laughter, okay, that's what his name's going to be, Isaac. And we are marveling because today, if that was told to us, I'm sure we would be maybe crying. It's the faith that God accepts. And that faith is a gift that God has given to him. We don't work it up ourselves. In Romans chapter 4, verse 11, and you see a lot of the same kind of theological aspects from Paul in the book of Romans, don't we? Even in a uh, more lengthy way. But in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, you get the story of Abraham. By the way, in verse 3, 4, 3, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. Um, if you drop down to verse 9, it says, Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was, here we go again, was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Well then, was it credited while he was circumcised? <laughs> or know the story on it, don't we? Or uncircumcised? Uncircumcised. Before the circumcision is credited. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision. A seal. That's a sign. It's a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. The faith while he had uncircumcised. He already had it. He already had the faith. He was already a believer. So that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, the Gentiles. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, the Jew, but also who follow in the steps of the faith, our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised, and that's people like us. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. 
He's the first person of whom the book of God declares he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This pagan. There was no goodness in him. It hadn't even done anything. But we must understand the idea of faith. It's not simply acknowledging historical facts that does come into play. God uses our mind and it does come in. But you know, we certainly must have that, but it involves the matter of trust or clinging to, depending upon the very revelation of God in Christ. Depending on Him in everything. Whether it seems small, whether it seems big. Am I going to take this and do what God says? Am I going to be obedient to Him? Of course, that's part of justification. We show that. And that's what Abram, Abraham did. I call him Abram. Abraham comes on at the time. you know. But I'll, what, what the idea was, as we see time goes on, he shows his great faith, whether it be putting Isaac on as being a sacrifice. That was the ultimate test, wasn't it? It showed, but he he wasn't accredited righteousness because of that. That's already happened. The instrument of justification, faith was the channel which he received the very blessing of justification. Faith is a channel. It's the lifeline that God throws out to us that now we can trust Him. We couldn't before. He had the eyes of faith. John 8.56 says that Abraham rested in that promise. If you want to look in John 8.56, the subject of Abraham is brought up as Jesus is talking to the Jews. And uh, verse 52, context, the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a, a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. Talking about the, these are the legalists, you know, the Lord. The, the prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God, and you have not come to know Him. Ooh, what a charge. You don't know Him. You don't have a relationship with Him. But I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you. Whoa! God right there is smacking them in the face with absolute truth. But I do know Him and keep His Word. Your father, quote, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. There's your verse 56. Of course, they say, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? You know, they're saying, what kind of statement is that? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Oh. Yeah. So what did they do? Picked up the stones to throw at him. Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It wasn't time yet. He's in total control of this whole thing. And there he is in front of the religious people. And he just brings forth the absolute truth. And of course, 
Abraham was at the core of this, but Abraham was a believer. Abraham had the eyes of faith. He saw the day of Christ. He rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. I guess. Are you guys glad? You see Christ probably much more than he did, but by faith, he kept marching to the city, as you see in Hebrews 11. And he had Isaac, and God tells him, to prepare him for a sacrifice, but God provided the sacrifice. It was a great picture. That's how far the faith that God had given him that Abraham believed God. After all these years, and it was many years that it happened before he is able to do that. But I was looking at uh, Luther's book on Galatians this morning, trying to glean maybe some insights, trying to bring something forth that I haven't said in uh, my... 25 years. I'm, you know, I'm trying to be fresh with, with something and, and the Word of God is always fresh and I don't want to get boring and people just kind of shut it off. I, you try to bring forth what this truth is and make it new to us each day. God accepts our imperfect faith for perfect righteousness which comes from Christ. God covers all the sins. He pardons our sins. The remnant of sin we know is still in me because of the flesh. But He counts my sin. No sin. This idea of imputation, that's what Luther was bringing forth. It means to place to one's account... It means to credit, to put, to bring something to someone, to reckon them um, this righteousness. Uh, W.E. Vine states that whatever is reckoned to a person cannot have been his originally and naturally. Anything that you are reckoned to, it's put on the plus side of your bank account. It's because you didn't have it. That wasn't yours originally. It comes from some something else. It was not natural. It's not our righteousness. Not ours originally. It was credited to us through the channel of faith alone. That's why the Reformation was so valuable. And that's why we speak about it so often because it had to be brought out again. It was lost. It was it was like it was shoveled into the dirt, deep into the ground. And then you had um, people who I call the pre-reformers. God has always had His people who are justified. Many of them we haven't heard of, but there were believers all through at the time. But it was a dark age for a thousand years, somewhere thereabouts, and then it comes out of the grave and they start teaching things like Romans and Galatians and they see the beauty of something that's so familiar to us. So don't take it for granted. It's lost in our in our church, the whole body of Christ today. It seems to be lost. They they don't preach on this justification. They can say, well, we do it all the time. <laughs> that which is not ours. It's good news though, isn't it? Praise God. It was impossible for us to take something and be credited before God's judicial demands through faith in Christ was the only way. The merits of Jesus Christ. 
is what God the Father was pleased with. And then He was pleased with how He paid for it. He applied it to our account. That's the idea of imputation. Imputation. We're going to use that word, right? Imputed. Bank account word. Martin Luther could exclaim this unspeakable gift, faith, therefore excels all reason that God does account and acknowledge Him for righteous without works which embraces His Son by faith alone who was sent into the world, was born, suffered, and was crucified for us. And it's supernatural that we can even believe that. And that's why you have so much difficulty trying to bring this to somebody who is not supernaturally born again. And we just keep bringing it and keep bringing it and those who God has chosen, He will wake up to the truth at that particular time He has chosen. And you might be a big part of it. And when you are, you go, I was just an instrument. I didn't change that. Of course not. But He sure can use us. And why He does, I'll never figure out. I think one reason is, are we just going to obey Him whenever He says go out and do it? He says, do it. I think there's a lot of blessings that come out of it. We are to be evangelist folks. Tell them about this imputation. You don't have to use that word. You can, you can make it simpler. But we, we try to bring it more deep here that it will have more meaning to you. And you can say, I already know that word. I know. I know. But it's a beautiful thing as we count and think on that. Now, uh, New Testament never says a man is saved on account of his faith. You say, what? Okay, now that sounds kind of strange. The New Testament never says a man is saved on account of his faith, but always that he is saved through faith or the means of faith. Faith is merely the means which the Holy Spirit uses to apply to the soul the benefit of Christ's death. Faith is applied to you. And you get the benefits of that. That is what faith is. Anyone who adds to that work of Christ for salvation claims that personal merit is part of it. They're teaching a false gospel. So he says, in our back to our Galatians now, we speedily move along. We get to move to verse 7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. What's he doing? He uses Abraham and then he says, okay, here are the Galatians. Or anybody who's trusted in Christ. Those who are of faith. Alright? Let it be said. Be sure that they're sons of Abraham. Abraham believed God. He's accounted righteous anybody that believes who are of faith, are sons of Him. Wow. Those who believe in Him. Now these Judaizers are believing in the outward sign of the Abrahamic covenant, this circumcision. And they think they are children of Abraham. And the true children of Abraham really are the ones who not only are Jews, who believe in Christ, but also Gentiles who believe in Christ. They're sons of Abraham by promise. Uh, Walter Kaiser still sticks in my head after all these years, and he had uh, a thing called promise theology. Promise theology is you trust in the promises. 
we that's how we are sons of Abraham, children of him in that sense. Therefore, right? The real people of God are the ones who are of faith. And he doesn't mean physically being the son of Abraham. Uh, faith in Christ. Look in Luke 19. It's interesting. Jesus used um, a term that was kind of interesting. In Luke 19, 9 through 10, have a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. We know about Zacchaeus, don't we? I like verse 8. Start there. Zacchaeus stopped, said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Now, he's not justified because he's going to do that. But because he's justified, he wants to do it. And, here we go, Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. I think that clarifies the fact that a son of Abraham who is... Zacchaeus is a Jew, but he is one who's trusting in the Messiah who stood right there before him. He is a son of Abraham. Anybody who believes in that Messiah is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who's the seeker here? (laughs) Who's the seeker? Wow. Son of Abraham, Zacchaeus was a true son of him. He was an unworthy, unworthy sinner, a tax collector, as they thought of one as being that bad. By calling him a son of Abraham, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus received the very blessings, the saving blessings which belonged to Abraham. Boy, what a point is being made here by Paul! Now he didn't use the Luke passage. But he is using that term, sons of Abraham. And uh, I think that is rather remarkable because Jesus used that. Leon Morris expresses this. Now, faith is not a virtue that you have in yourself. It's a grace. Okay, Faith is a grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talks about that. We know that. Leon Morris said this. Rather, is no more than the means by which sinners receive God's gracious gift. It's the very means. It is God who justifies the Gentiles, not faith. Faith does not justify us. It sounds like, wait a minute, justified by faith. (laughs) But He justifies them in the same way that Abraham was justified by faith. Or faith being the means that God used to bring about justification. We're saved by grace. Through faith. There's the channel. So it was never Abraham because he believed God that he was saved, but it was because of the very grace of God that then that channel was given. And there's where you get that famous statement that's used so much, that Paul uses. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. We see where it comes from. It's the means that God used to get that very benefit of justification. So it's technical, but yet very profound, and at the same time, so basic to our faith, isn't it? Difference. There's a difference between physical descendants, spiritual descendants, and you guys know that. The descendants of Abraham, they inherited his genes, G-E-N-E-S, 
but the ones who believe in the Messiah in Christ they're the ones who share his faith that's the idea Abraham's physical descendants we know but his spiritual children we know that Paul teaches that only the spiritual children are saved God has always said that we go back to the book of Hosea chapter 1 Daniel Hosea and the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, which means they're not mine. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. He's talking about people that are outside the Jewish race. That extends to, of course, there's, a, there's the direct illustration of here. And, and uh, Hosea, uh, we know probably the story of him that, that could get us off here but the uh, the idea is here name him Loami for you're not my people I'm not your God yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea which cannot be measured or numbered and in the place where it is said to them you are not my people it will be said to them you are the sons of the living God you're not my people and now you are Gentiles spiritual seed of Abraham. We think of Matthew 3.9. John the Baptist appears on the scene preaching repentance. Preaching fire. (laughs) And in 3.9 he says, And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. He can... These stones can go outside that group of people that they were from. They were automatically children of God because they were physical descendants, they thought. But believe me, there are true descendants of Abraham, physical and yet also spiritual. And that is what I call a true Jew. We, uh, we get the promise that they had. We get the promise that was given to Abram. We get to get in on that. Very promise, right? Of course, the promise is so key to our faith. So, God always intended to justify people from every nation. Get done at hit and miss here and there, pictures, illustrations. But ultimately, we saw when the church opened wide. Peter opens the door, Cornelius's house. A couple of chapters later, you see Paul taking it out to the rest of the world. And here we are today. We are not excluded. The reason the nations will be blessed is because Abraham becomes their father. We become His sons. Therefore, justification is part of our heritage. We have the inheritance as children of Abraham. If you're His child, then you are justified. Now, part 3, down verses 8 and 9. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Of course, that's what we've been at. 
So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Boy, you have to admire the way that Paul worded this scriptural argument. You have to admire the Scripture that he uses, but ultimately you're really admiring the Holy Spirit because he is being inspired to write this. But as he thought it through, God used what he had worked through for years. And then he puts this down. What kind of argument can the legalist come back with? He uses the daddy of all daddies. The one they used. Boy, he torches them with Scripture here. And about the Gentiles. And that's by faith alone. So God preached the gospel to Abraham. Didn't have it as full of sense. You can't look at it the way that we look at it because we look past or look back in time. He, he looked forward to this before Messiah had come, before the redemptive work of the cross had come, you know, that we call the good news, before all that had taken place. The, skip, the scripture, the word of God, still preached the good news to Abraham. And we see that he's brought into the covenant. I have to think, and later we'll probably get to this. I probably won't get to it today. Um, but as we go through Genesis three or uh, Galatians three, get back to Genesis. Oh, Genesis three. Why would I say that? Well, that's bad news. But there's good news involved in there, and that's where the first good news stems from, isn't it? The proto-evangelium, the first good news about one who would be coming, and um, actually be able to um, take the place of man. Of course, it was given in its embryonic form, but from there on, the Bible keeps bringing forth uh, this gospel, this good news, and you see it in the covenants, this covenant that is really found in like Genesis 17, that covenant where God makes a covenant with Abraham, where Abraham is given the divine anesthetic, and he he falls asleep. God makes him go to sleep. He couldn't do anything in that covenant. It was a a one-party covenant. Covenants are made between multiples. But in that case, it was God. He says, I will make the covenant. That was not a covenant of works. He made a covenant like that in in the law, in the Mosaic law, and people couldn't keep it. That's why God is the, the promise keeper and we break them. And boy, I'm, I'm thankful. We, we believe in His promises, don't we? You know, Abraham had much revelation, but yet on the revelation of the good news of a future Messiah given to him, he believed the promise of God. And of course, he saw uh, that there was going to be one who would take their place. He was going to be that Messiah that was going to be coming. And... Uh, I don't mean to suggest that Abraham had the full revelation of Christ and given with the completion of Holy Scripture, you know, like, like we do, but I, I, I want to say that he believed on the Son of God as He is revealed in the Gospel. Our Savior Himself declared that. We read it in John 8.56. He rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. I believe quite a picture it was whenever he saw that ram coming out of the thicket and it was taking the place of his son Isaac. I think that's a great picture of the Messiah. Of course, he is the, the, the Lamb of God. Takes away the sin of the world. And all the nations of the earth are blessed because of that 
wasn't totally clear to Abraham, but he believed. Abraham must have had some kind of deep-rooted knowledge. And, and as he kept walking with God, yeah, he stumbled. We know that uh, there was some lying going on or half-lies you know, about his wife. And, but he still depended on a deliverer that would come. And I want to tell you, all of the true sons of Abraham did the same thing. They looked to that. The, the, the priest looked for an ultimate one who would come that would take away their sins because they knew those lambs never did take away their sin because they had to keep doing it every day. They had to do an annual thing. They had to do these feasts. They had to keep bringing these special sacrifices. They had the Passover, you know, the Day of Atonement. You know, I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's every day. God is pleased, though, if they are trusting in that the Messiah is going to be the one who's going to take their place. This is a picture. It's a picture. What does Genesis fifteen twelve say? Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Now know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. So I'm going to take them to a place that's not their land where they will be enslaved, by the way, and oppressed for 400 years. But I'll also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Must judge them. Came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kadamite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. And all you Christianites, here we are. <laughs> Genesis 22.18 In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That was the offering of Isaac. Now he was never justified because of that action. But we do see that it shows that he is true in his faith. Be blessed. You obeyed my voice. God is the one that had trained him all up the time. He didn't start out with Isaac at one year old being sacrificed. But over the course of time as he was tested, then when the biggest test came, Abraham came through in flying colors. But it was that faith that had given, been given to him by God. But yet, it was shaped, wasn't it? So in verse 9 of our text in Galatians 3, So then, and this is our summary then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. 
You get that? He draws a very logical and necessary conclusion to all of this. But he's going to have more to say. But that right there could have been enough. But no, there's so much more. All believers are one in Christ. We are, you know, in that in that sense, we are in Abraham. We are in the body of Christ. We are in Christ. All of God's people were chosen in Christ. And this brings to our very conclusion something that we just want to be reminded of. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith is the key ingredient. We live by faith. Things aren't going so well. Even when things don't make sense. And our suffering, and our sorrow, and the adversities that we face, all the confusion that can be around us, and we stand in this grace as it says in Romans 5. We stand in it. We're in the eye of the storm and there's all sorts of things happening around and the only thing that we can do is trust in Him. You are showing that you are a son of Abraham. Son of faith. Trust God. So simple. But it's supernatural. And only we as Christians can understand that. And so I want to remind you that all the things that Abraham went through, and then of course as Paul relates this, Paul is going through a lot as he is arguing for this faith because he knows how vital it is to bring this forth. And look at all the things, the turmoils that Paul had to go through. Almost near death. So many times. It looked like everything was going down. The ship was going down. But he was still ready. And God pulled him through all of those until it was time to bring him back with him. And you know, that is trusting in the Deliverer who will make a way that promise that we believe in is so good. And that's how we live out our life. We don't live by sight. When you've done things that you know to be right and true and it seems like everything else is falling around down on you, when it seems like things are falling apart, it seems like people are dropping right and left out of the church here, people leaving, it seems like this is the end. The church is going to just fade out. Sometimes I think that. Then I have to look back here at this word and say, well, are we are we faithful with proclaiming this and believing this? I'm going to keep on believing the truth and preaching and teaching until it comes back. But um, some people are not going to come back. Other people are just missing a lot. And I'm wondering why. We need them. We need every one of us. There are legitimate reasons. I know that. Okay. Get that wrong, but sometimes I have to keep trusting because I've always wondered how does this thing keep together? How did it ever come together anyway? Practically, all I can do is believe in God because He's the one that put it together. He's the one that has kept it together at times when I didn't think there was a chance that we we could go on. 
And the blessings that came out were tremendous. They always have been. And here we are again. I'm wondering, Lord, how are you going to do this? It looks like things are falling apart. Guess what? You know what happens with Humpty Dumpty? (laughs) He always puts it back together. We're broken people. Very broken. He's putting us together. And He's making it. One of these days, it'll be seen in His glory. The whole bride of Christ, the whole body of Christ, down through the ages. And we'll be a part of it. Amen. And all we can do is say, I believe that it's just faith alone because of this ultimate word. Thank you guys for coming out this morning. It's been special again. Father, we thank you for your truth. And like we said, we, we believe you. We know you give us tests to make us believe in you in a way that is seen sometimes. And sometimes we drop the ball and don't believe you. And we make up the rules. But you know, Lord, you have a way of bringing us back to you. And help us to just be rock solid. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. These are elements that help us proclaim the truth of the gospel. And it validifies in our life the little physical elements that what God has done has taken hold in our lives. And um, it's a way of showing itself, others, like baptism that shows others what has happened inwardly and we proclaim the crucifixion of Christ his death his burial his resurrection mm-hmm. and um, of course we do this you know mostly every week not every week but when we do try to do that um, it gives us all an opportunity to proclaim that and um, what, what we what we have taken in by our ears, we visually and uh, using our senses of taste, recognize Christ dying and then causing us to die, be buried, and then to raise with him. Our justification comes into play again. We were raised because of our justification. We have new life. And so it continues on. I'm going to ask Bob here.
know has been counted as righteous because the blood has been shared, the body is broken, spared, come back to life. And uh, we declared that we are right before God. The sins have been taken. So let's see this from forgiven people. As we battle the flesh, the world, the devil, we have a war and um, sometimes sin just sticks out up in the neck. But that sin too, if you're a believer, is taken away as far as God is concerned. Because of the grace that He gives, we hate the sin that we have. And we desire to sin less. We still struggle on that. God is so good. And this is what he's reminding us. Saved by grace through faith. Father, we thank you. We come before you recognizing that we are broken people. And yes, we still sin against your great holiness and for that we are very sorry for we desire to not sin we desire to repent to turn from that ugly sin that we keep being infested with in this flesh and all for the day to get out of this flesh and yet we're still responsible for the sin that we live with that you root out more and more of our self-righteousness. That's our promise. It's all your righteousness that we want because our self-righteousness is absolutely nothing. And we want it to die. And to keep dying until that great day that you come for us. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. As we walk out of here today, we can be joyful. We can be glad like Abraham was because we've seen the day of Christ. Day of Christ has come in our lives. And we share together this is delightful. So pleasant to be among your people, Lord, and to be able to agree upon these great doctrinal truths you have given us. So thank you. And we say in Jesus' name. Bless our God, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, bring us forth bread. Also say our blessing. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. Brings forth fruit from the vine. <coughs> you rejoice? Amen. Amen. How's that song go? I rejoice, I rejoice, I rejoice, I rejoice in you, in I rejoice in you.
Amen. We dismiss for further fellowship. <laughs> By the way, I think there's a movie that we're going to be showing, uh, God's Not Dead. And I'm not. Uh, it will probably be Friday. Friday night, 7 o'clock. Do we want it here? Do we want it at our house? Here. Want it here? Is that good? Okay. If anybody wants it at your house. Oh, sure. <laughs> but, but so I, I, I think I have to that. would be good. We can definitely do that. I've been checked here and just recently had um, a girl from China stay at her house for four weeks. And these weren't, these weren't the typical exchange people. Their parents had been here last year and they had a bunch of uh, Christian And they wanted their kids to come out here and the parents the same thing. And Karen said when she got her, she was told that basically Chinese people, you know, don't hug her or anything because they don't do that.